Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Home Capital Group Second Quarter Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Jill McRae, Head of Investor Relations. Thank you. You may begin. Thank you, April. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Our agenda for today's investor presentation is as follows. We'll begin the call with remarks from Yusri Basada, Home's President and CEO. Our CFO, Brad Kodish, will then review our financial performance, which will be followed by a question and answer period for participants. We have members of our senior management team with us on the call to help answer your questions. On behalf of those speaking today, I note that this call may contain forward-looking statements and that actual results could differ materially from forecasts, projections, or conclusions in these statements. Please refer to our advisory on forward-looking statements on page two of the presentation. I would also remind listeners that HOME uses non-GAAP financial measures to arrive at adjusted results and that management will be referring to both reported and adjusted results in their remarks. And now I'd like to turn the call over to you, Sri Basada. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for our second quarter conference call. Turning to our Q2 results, today Home is reporting net income of $72.8 million, or $1.42 per share, an increase of 118% over Q2 of 2020. We're very pleased with these results, and the factors that contributed to this achievement include a robust housing market leading to healthy top-line growth, disciplined expense management, and a release of credit provisions this year compared to the increase in credit provisions one year ago. Brad will have more detail on the financial results in this presentation. Today, I'd like to talk to updating you on the lending restrictions we put in place at the start of the pandemic last year, review some of our activities during the quarter, and give you a sense of our expectations for the balance of the year. We spoke last quarter about our lending restrictions and the adjustments to our risk appetite we put in place at the time of the initial lockdown. Throughout the second quarter, as the economic data became more positive, we gradually returned to our pre-pandemic risk appetite. By the end of July, all the restrictions were removed from both residential and commercial underwriting. This means that all our businesses will have returned to normal risk appetites for most of Q3. We believe there's lots of opportunity in the market with our current guidelines. Following a successful Q1, we saw continued strong growth in single-family originations this past quarter, both in Alt-A and A mortgages. Originations in our single-family residential portfolio totaled $1.84 billion, an increase of 63% over 2020. 
We're proud of the incredible effort of our sales, underwriting, and funding teams to bring in this volume. They showed their commitment to support our broker partners in providing mortgage solutions for our borrowers in market conditions that are constantly changing. One of our home values is know your business. And I believe this quarter, we demonstrated how this value drives our success. We, we grew our volumes by delivering responsive service and industry expertise to evolving market conditions and risk parameters. This quarter also saw steady growth in deposits through our open channel, which now make up nearly 31% of our total deposits. Our open store in Toronto reopened in mid-June, and we are now back to welcoming customers into all our stores. I'm pleased to report that the traffic in our stores has bounced back quickly since reopening, demonstrating the value of the in-person option for many of our customers. Our Treasury Group has also been busy this past quarter. In June, we closed a second successful cross-border RMBS offering. Compared to our inaugural issue in the fall of 2019, we saw increased investor interest and increased participation from U.S. investors. Based on the investment demand for our last offering, we expect to be back in the market later this year, subject to market conditions. We continue to believe that RMBS offers a valuable strategic option for diversifying our funding options and growing our institutional source funds. We have also expanded our whole loan sales program, adding to the counterparties who are interested in purchasing loans originated by home trusts. This quarter, sales under this program were 431 million, up from 37 million in Q1. Whole loan sales enhance homes capacity to offer insured mortgage products to our broker channel. Whole loan sales take these mortgages off balance sheet, recognizing a gain on sale while collecting servicing income over the life of the loans. We expect to make regular sales of our mortgages under this program. Within the company, our execution of the Ignite program continues to transform the way we work. I credit the effort of all our teams to implement the transformation of our core banking system with minimal disruption to operations all while navigating the demands of an active housing market and remote working conditions. Initiatives in our technology transformation include, our rollout roll of robotic process automation has allowed us to be more efficient by automating routine repetitive tasks. Our new CRM has improved productive engagement with our broker partners with new features in reporting to a broker, a variety of productivity KPIs with home. We have refreshed our loft platform to quickly and effectively update brokers with information on our mortgage promotions and other important communication. Loft is the system we and the brokers use to collect documents for mortgage applications, request additional information, and post updates on the status of an application. This increased functionality built into the LOP platform has been very well received by our brokers. We are progressing towards the launch of an enhanced digital experience for our open customers with the expected release of our mobile banking app later this year. All these are examples of the improvements in efficiency and customer experience made possible by our Ignite program. 
As we look ahead to the second half of 2021, we see good visibility for further mortgage growth and continued opportunity to deliver on our strategic objectives. First, we plan for a return to more normal working conditions. We note that a healthy economy requires a healthy population. We're delighted to see high vaccination rates in Canada, and we hope to trend towards a reduction in COVID cases continues. It has now been over 500 days that most of the team has been working from home. We continue to prioritize the health and safety of our employees, customers, and partners as we make plans for a gradual return to the workplace. At this point, we, like most downtown employers, are planning for a hybrid model of home and in-person working. It may take some time and adjustments before we land on our final version, but we are committed to following public health advice and to be transparent two-way communication with our employees throughout the return of the office process. Looking at the economy, the latest GDP and employment data have been positive, and this constructive outlook is expected to persist into 2022. The Bank of Canada is, re is reducing its quantitative easing measures, and OSFI has announced plans to increase the domestic stability buffer effective November 1, 2021 signal of their confidence in the resilience of the financial system. The latest housing data shows steady upward price movement in our major markets and an increase in sales over 2020. We consider the recent pullback in sales volumes for June and July to be a healthy moderation from the peak volumes in February and March. We believe that current conditions, namely low interest rates, high consumer savings, and changing housing needs in line with evolving working conditions, all support a robust housing market. We see improvements in employment and immigration providing additional support to the medium and contributing to demand for mortgages in both prime and alternative space. Our residential team is reporting that the market conditions we saw in May and June have helped to start the third quarter. Our commercial team is seeing more opportunities in both the large and small commercial markets as they return to pre-pandemic underwriting parameters. We will continue to pursue attractive options to diversify our funding by investing in our open platform and expanding our RMBS and whole loan sales program. Another of our priorities is optimizing our capital base. We ended this quarter with a common tier equity one capital ratio of over 22%. We reiterate our commitment to manage towards a target CET one range of 14 to 15% once the regulatory restriction is lifted. I would now like to turn the call over to Brad for a view of our financial results. Thank you, Yusri, and good morning, everyone. Slide six shows highlights of another strong quarter of financial performance. Our second quarter net income was 72.8 million, an increase of 113% over 2020. And on an adjusted net income, it was 73.9 million, up 102%. Net income per share grew by 118% to $1.42 per share. Our book value grew by 17% year over year to 35.32 per share, and our annualized return on equity was 16.6% for the quarter, or 16.9% on an adjusted basis. 
we generated that return on equity while holding a significant amount of excess capital, ending the quarter with just over 22% CET1. If our CET1 level had been at the high end of our target CET1 level, 15% throughout the quarter, our pro forma annualized return on equity would have been in excess of 25%. Slide 7 shows the factors contributing to the year-over-year -year quarterly earnings per share growth. The largest contribution came from the relative change in credit provisions. The first two quarters of 2020 included substantial credit provisions in keeping with the uncertainty and economic outlook at that time. The first two quarters of 2021 included provision releases in line with updated forward-looking information and better-than-expected actual credit experience. I will discuss credit provisions in more detail later in the call. The EPS contribution from the change in provisioning compared with Q2 2020 accounted for $0.53 cents in earnings per share, or 69% of the year-over-year -year increase in EPS. Our net interest margin for the quarter was 2.61%, consistent with last quarter and an improvement of 21 basis points over the comparable Q2 2020 figure. The increase in NIM contributed $0.11 cents to the increase in our net income per share. Our funding costs continue to trend lower with the roll-off of some higher-cost funds, partially offset by lower realized yields on our assets. This quarter, we also terminated our $500 million standby credit facility, which will reduce our funding costs by approximately five basis points going forward. We continue to expect our net interest margin to stay in this range for the balance of 2021 based on our current interest rate outlook. We generated positive operating leverage as we grew our year-over-year -year revenue by 5% while reducing operating expenses by 12%. Non-interest expenses were below the first quarter level and below our expectations at the start of the quarter as some planned IT spend was deferred to later in the year. The reduced expenses compared to last year resulted in a benefit to earnings per share of $0.12 cents and improved our operating efficiency to 42.1% or 41% on an adjusted basis. In total, our year-over-year -year quarterly growth in pre-tax, pre-provision net income was 23%. Reducing the number of average shares outstanding through our normal course issuer bid resulted in a modest benefit of $0.03. Cents. Slide 8 shows our originations for this quarter compared with last year. Total single-family originations grew by 63%, with significant strength in both our classic and accelerator businesses. We note that our sales and underwriting teams delivered this growth while pandemic underwriting restrictions were still in place during the first part of the quarter. As USRI indicated, those restrictions were relaxed for both our residential and commercial groups early in Q3, and our normal prudent risk parameters have been restored. On the commercial side, our insured residential volumes declined compared to last year, with the CMHC pivoting their allocations more towards affordable housing. Our non-residential volumes increased year over year as we saw more opportunities to participate in good quality projects. Since our return to pre-pandemic underwriting parameters in the third quarter, we expect to see growth pick up for the remainder of 2021. Turning to our funding on slide 9, we continue to emphasize the growth of our Oaken channel with a significant weighting towards term deposits versus demand deposits. 
Oaken now makes up 31% of our deposits compared with 26% in Q2 of 2020, an increase by 2.5% quarter over quarter and 13.3% year over year. This quarter, we also announced a successful completion of another cross-border offering of residential mortgage-backed securities. As Eustree mentioned, this offering had a greater percentage of cross-border participation than our inaugural RMBS in 2019, as more investors came to appreciate the AAA rating of the Class A notes and the excellent credit performance of the loans in the structure. As stated previously, we intend to be a programmatic issuer in this channel, subject to market conditions. We continue to believe there is investor appetite to support the continued development and expansion of private RMBS. Slide 10 shows the details of our credit provisioning this quarter. We booked a release of $18.8 million compared with provisions of $18.7 million one year earlier. For the year to date, total releases have been $30.9 million compared with provisions of $48.8 million in 2020. We realized a net recovery of less than one basis point, or $0.2 million, across all lines of business in Q2. For the year-to-date, net write-offs have been less than one basis point, or $0.2 million, compared with net write-offs of three basis points, or $2.3 million, in the first half of 2020. Slide 11 shows a breakdown of our credit provisions. The $18.8 million total is made up of $15.2 million release of provisions on our Stage 1 and Stage 2 loans, and a $3.6 million release of provisions on our Stage 3 loans. The $3.6 million release in our Stage 3 loans comes predominantly from increased expectations for and actual repayments in our commercial loan portfolio. The $15.2 million release in our provisions for Stage 1 and Stage 2 loans across all lines of business results from a change in the forward-looking expectations for housing prices and employment levels in our third-party economic forecast and actual repayments. Last year's quarterly provision number reflected a downward revision in forward-looking expectations. Our provision releases in quarters subsequent to Q2 2020 reflect more positive forward-looking information, improved credit quality, and actual repayments. The inputs to our economic models are shown on slide 12, as is the total allowance for credit losses. The assumptions for future housing prices and unemployment levels have improved from the March 31st levels in all scenarios. The total probability weighted allowance for loan losses stood at 39.7 million at the end of the quarter. Using just the base case, the allowance will be 31.8 million. The use of multiple scenarios adds nearly $8 million to the base case allowance. The next slide shows the breakdown of our allowance for credit losses. The chart on the left shows that 76% of our loan loss allowance is attributable to our Stage 1 and 2 loans. The decline in allowance attributed to our other consumer retail loans is due to provision releases related to a more than 80% reduction in the gross amount of that portfolio or approximately $200 million, to portfolio sales and repayments, as well as net write-offs since Q2 2020. The decrease in allowance on our Stage 3 loans is also due to the reduced value of non-performing loans, down by more than 50% for the year-to-date, as shown on slide 14. Net non-performing loans now make up 24 basis points of gross loans, 
compared with 57 basis points at the end of 2020. Allowance for credit losses for stage three loans as a percentage of total stage three loans has increased from 18.7% from 15% at the beginning of the year. Turning to slide 15 for a discussion of capital. Our CET1 capital ratio at the end of Q2 was 22.27%. We added 126 basis points to our capital base during the quarter. As you may know, we, together with all federally regulated financial institutions, are currently restricted from increasing dividends out of our regulated entities by our regulator. Absent that restriction, we could fund capital dis distributions by home capital group through dividends out of the regulated entities. However, we were able to use funds at the holding company level to repurchase approximately 517,000 shares during the quarter through our NCIB. For the year to date, we have spent approximately 50.6 million to buy back over 1.6 million shares at an average price of $31.23 per share. This price represents a discount of 12% to our quarter end book value. As we said during our last call, subject to market conditions, we plan to choose the most effective methods to increase shareholder value while moving towards our stated target range of 14 to 15% CET1. And now I will turn the call back to Usri for closing remarks. Thank you, Brad. Uh, I'll now ask the operators, April, to hold the questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star then the number one. And we'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from Jeff Kwan with RBC. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, good morning. Um Brad, I just wanted to, to, to start off with the, the, what we talked about in terms of the capital strategy. Obviously, with the, the lot of excess capital that you have and, and when the ban does get lifted, you know, how do you think about the rough timeline of, of how long it would take for you to get down into that kind of 14 to 15% uh, CET1 target ratio? Uh, Jeff, I think we would consider what market conditions were at the time so that that timeline would, would necessarily flex depending on our view. Uh, previously, we've discussed starting with um, an SIB, uh, again, depending on, on market conditions and, and the intrinsic rent pricing and intrinsic value or our view of intrinsic value of our stock. Uh, we have done... Uh, SIBs in the past two years in the range of 300 to 150 million. So that would move us reasonably rapidly to a lower rate. And uh, then we would think of either uh, a combination of NCIB and dividends uh, on a prudent basis. So uh, it, it could be, uh, depending again on market conditions, anywhere between 18 to 24 months as we 
could uh, work our way down. Uh, again, we want to make sure that uh, we're looking at all factors, market conditions, um, liquidity, uh, how it affects uh, our net interest margin and profitability, all with a view to uh, uh, prudent risk management and enhancing shareholder value. Okay. Uh, and just my second question was on the OPEX side. Um, yeah, I think as you pointed out, it was, it was a little bit lower. I think you mentioned there was some um, IT spend that was deferred. Just wanting to to get a sense how you think about how the OPEX is going to look like uh, for the second half of this year. And, and sorry, and, and if you can oh. do that excluding any sort of Ignite-related expenses. Yeah, well, um, we, we talked um, last quarter about being approximately um, $65 million in aggregate um, non-interest expenses, and that's inclusive of some of our IT spend. So we're, we're through um, what I would call that uh, significant adjusted earnings phase. As you can see, we've narrowed um, uh, the adjustments compared to prior periods. And uh, one of the other things is um, we've extended uh, slightly the period where we think uh, for completion of Ignite to the end of uh, uh, Q1 next year. So uh, that's, uh, I, I guess the main takeaway there, Jeff, would be we, we think it'll be closer to, to uh, $65 million, uh, going forward for the next two quarters. Okay, great. Thank you. Your next question is from Etienne Ricard with BMO Capital Markets. Hey, Karen, good morning. So there was a, um, a significant growth in originations this past quarter. Uh, can you help us understand how much of this growth is, on one hand, uh, home capital relaxing, you know, your underwriting standards that were in place since the start of the pandemic relative to on the other hand, um, organic growth opportunities that you're seeing in the alt-A space. HN, hi, Q3. Um, uh, clearly, the market has been hot for A and alt-A, uh, so the, the, the tide is definitely lifting all boats, no doubt about that. Um, but we believe that we're getting th that share of how much the market has increased. No data is out yet for the second quarter of overall. Um, but in addition, uh, we feel that as we release these underwriting guidelines, as we have, that that's going to increase our volumes, our share. Um, so, it, you know, without knowing what the market actually grew, I'd estimate that half is because of volume growth and half is because of our continued focused service and products that we're offering right now, and, and that will grow uh, uh, further. So we, we, we grew uh, by uh, about 58% in our originations, uh, relative to 51 in the first quarter. So um, that, that's above, I believe, what the market has grown. That's why I'm doing that approximate half to half. Okay, great. Um, and on funding, you have previously shared that Ocean could represent 40 to 50 percent of your deposits over the next few years. Uh, given the recent deposit uh, raising, is this still a reasonable goalpost and for what time period? Uh, yeah, I, it, I think it is reasonable, but 
we, we're, we have no goal to get there fast. We're going to do it prudently and effectively and make sure it's um, minimizing our cost of funds as we do it, as we grow. Um, we, we, said, we always said that the target is sort of three to five years, and I think we said that a year ago, and I think that's still on, on track. But we don't, you know, we don't have a line in the sand saying we better get to 40. We're going to just do it prudently and, and in a way that continues to focus on NIM performance for the company. Makes sense. Um, and, and so um, do open deposits, uh, is, is the cost still a bit higher relative to, to brokered markets? Uh, it is a little bit higher. Um, so the way we compare it is the broker markets, we have to pay a commission. In the open, we don't, but we have the cost of the stores and the staff. But when you compare them, it is a little bit higher, but business is stickier. So from a strategic long point of view, that helps make the cost a little bit closer. So that, that has a strategic advantage to us. Great. Thank you for your comments. Your next question is from... Graham with TD Securities. Hi, good morning. Um, maybe just start on the on the credit front. Um, another uh, quarter of sort of fairly material releases. Um, when I look at your um, your ACL relative to your portfolio size, it, you know it's low versus historical levels. And then when I look at your ACL relative to your base case expected credit loss, there seems to be a smaller buffer there than than pre-pandemic levels. So um, I guess my question is, is it reasonable to think that where you're currently sitting, um, credit loss releases should be less material going forward? Uh, yes is a short answer, Grant. Yeah. Fair enough. So I, I mean, if, you, if, you, if I can expand on it, if, if you, you want to, if that wasn't an act, but I think we're, we're, we're more than comfortable with our coverage ratio uh, using uh, the, uh, our, our models uh, and certainly um, our actual experience has shown um, that we have been uh, prudently um, provided in our main portfolios. We had one issue last year in relation to um, the consumer segment with it. We're very much in the process of, of exiting. And uh, the, uh, the main question, I, I think, was expectations of future releases. Um, we, we have now um, taken off most of the general increase that we had in relation to the onset of the pandemic and the rapid movement in uh, downward revisions to forward-looking information. So going forward, we expect to see a much more normalized um, credit environment with provisions. Um, there, there will be a, a variability or volatility in provisions related to movements and forward-looking information. Um, we expect those to be more moderate going forward unless there's um, something that happens uh, uh, outside of our current expectations. And uh, we'll have, uh, you know, we do plan on growing our portfolio and therefore um, provisions will rise, but uh, as a percentage should be relatively consistent. Okay, that was helpful. In terms of growing your portfolio, your, your originations were solved this quarter, but it looked like your, your runoff on your uh, your residential book was um, was also quite large and sort of 
weighed against your overall portfolio growth. Can you provide some color around what was driving the higher runoff and, and what are you targeting or what, what's a reasonable expectation for overall loan growth? Yeah, we, we did have uh, what we saw um, was uh, much higher um, sales. So when we were looking to renew, the actual property was sold and no longer required financing. Uh, we we think uh, in our modeling that uh, we think that we'll have uh, uh, slightly higher retention rates uh, in uh, the next six months based on the trends we're seeing today. Great. That's it for me. Thank you. Your next question is from Nigel D'Souza with Veritas Investment. Uh, thank you. Good morning. I wanted to touch first quickly on phase three reversals uh, for provisions that you pointed out this quarter. And uh, I understand that's due to higher repayments, and that makes sense. But do you have any color on the underlying drivers for that? I mean, are the repayments moving higher because of improvements in employment or uh, you know, support that individuals are receiving from government programs, or is it just self-curing where individuals are able to sell um, their real estate assets at an attractive price? Any, any color there you could provide? Well, the, the, the biggest mover um, uh, relatively in the reduction of, of stage three was in our commercial, and that was that was due to repayments. Um, and uh, similarly, or slightly differently, was some in our, our stage three uh, residential with with lower balances or or, or refis uh, either um, with us or externally. So that's where a lot of that uh, movement had that came from in the overall um, allowance release on stage three. Touching on buybacks, uh, you've executed on some already, and uh, it makes sense that it's attractive when your share price is below uh, your book value. But with your shares currently above, you know, your book value. Uh, per share, is are buybacks as attractive as they were previously? Uh, is that still where you'd like to prioritize allocating your excess capital, or is there any other channel that you view as uh, as attractive or more attractive? Well, we, we continue to view buybacks uh, as an attractive option uh, if the shares are below our view of intrinsic value, and uh, we we still believe that the shares are trading below our view of intrinsic value. So um, we are focused on buybacks in the current environment. Uh, so you know they still are accretive to earnings and, and ROE, uh, but you know we'll also uh, at, at the appropriate time uh, consider uh, dividends as well. Okay, that makes sense. And if I could just uh, wrap up on, I guess a broader question, uh, maybe a longer term question. Um, you know, you mentioned that you expect origination to remain relatively robust in the near term, but if I look out further ahead um, over the next few years, with real estate prices elevated at the at the current moment, uh, do you see, you know, a lack of, I guess, affordable housing as a potential headwind for, uh, you know, immigration, new immigration into, into Toronto or key markets, or even uh, first-time or younger home buyers? Is that something where you think affordability starts becoming an issue or, or potential headwind for you, or have you um, you thought about that differently. What, what's your uh, outlook there? Uh, it's you three here. There, there's a lot of questions in that question. I'll try to deal with most of them. Uh, 
So um, you, you're, you're right in part of that is that uh, not affordability, but supply continues to be a problem. There are still more people who want homes than there is supply in Canada. Um, the immigration numbers are expected to uh, grow, and I, I think um, I mentioned in the past that typically new immigrants will acquire a house two to three years after arriving. So you can kind of chart the demand that is going to come two to three years uh, uh, from now. And, and, and new immigrants are um, all over in terms of what they buy, from $10 million homes to startup condos, to, it's, it's a wide range. Um, you're right, it is obviously getting more difficult and less affordable for people, but what we've also seen is with the lockdowns and the working from home and without a doubt the hybrid going forward of people working from the office and home is they're moving further out, which makes it more affordable. You know, a, a dream two years ago was to be only in downtown Toronto or with a short commute with a subway. Now, not the case. You, you, they're, they're willing to move further out as long as their employment can, can accommodate it. So there's a lot of rebalancing that has to happen and what's uh, affordable. But the main driver over the next few years continues to be that demand is very, very high. Um, the other part of unknown in that in your, in your question is interest rates. Where will interest rates be? And in the current levels, it's making it still very affordable for a lot, a lot of people. But depending on our interest rates, that could potentially obviously move the demand uh, down uh, in terms of people's affordability. So you, you asked a multi-level question. Did I get at the core of what you want? If not, please let me elaborate on whatever. No, I think that was a really helpful caller, and I think you touched on a lot of uh, different factors there. So, uh, yeah, appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is from Dan Glowing with NBA. Yeah, thanks. Good morning. Hey, good morning. I, uh, uh, first questions on the uh, the sale of, uh, I guess, the whole loan sale program. Uh, huge step up this quarter. Um, and apologize if I missed it in the prepared remarks. Thing here, I don't think we were expecting that. You know, 400 million in in this quarter. So, what uh, what is the outlook for volumes on that front? And then uh, a follow up on the uh, on the the rate or the gain on sale rate uh, on those mortgages sold. Uh, is this quarter indicative of what we should expect? Or, I mean, the previous two quarters were significantly higher than that on lower volumes. So, just a little bit of uh, uh, framing of of the strategy and the uh, the financial impacts. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, we uh, we did do better than we had expected in uh, the last quarter. It, it may be that uh, that amount uh, would be what we'd expect in the next half. So uh, that's where we would be modeling that. And the the other question is, uh, I, I think there was a mix there when you were mentioning that it, uh, that gain on sale was was higher, or maybe I, I misunderstood your question. Yeah, sorry. So let me let me just clarify uh, your response to the first question. So when you said last quarter, you mean the Q2 400 million? That's about what we should expect in Q3, Q4 uh, each, or in aggregate? And then I'll follow up on the rate. In, in aggregate. Okay. Okay. And then on the rate, what I was saying, that, <clears throat> excuse me, in Q2, the rate looks like it's about 60 basis points. Uh, and in the previous two quarters, on, granted on much lower volume, it was uh, north of 200 basis points. 
Uh, and so just wanted to get a, you know, a little bit more uh, uh, insight as to, you know, is the rate closer to 60 basis points on a go forward basis or, or is that something, is there something else that's driving that lower? Uh, I, I think that going forward rate is something that, that could be used. Uh, and part of that, and again, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that you're using uh, the, the securitization gains as well as the uh, whole loan sale gains. I was breaking it out individually, but uh, maybe we can take it offline and uh, and just sure. talk about some of the specifics on that front. But I think I've got a pretty good sense there. Um, shifting uh, back to the net interest margin, or I guess uh, the, the spread, uh, net interest spread this quarter, um, we're seeing a little bit of a step down. Um, you know, maybe makes sense. Just wanted to get some more uh, granularity as to uh, what you're seeing on the on the rate side in single family core single family and, and commercial loans, is that is that rate side on the asset side still declining in a competitive environment? Uh, or are we starting to see some stabilization on uh, on mortgage rates? Hey, it's huge for you here, James. On Alt-A, it's um, pretty steady. Uh, some minor adjustments here. On A, it's still very competitive. Uh, it, it, that's obviously a much bigger pot and, and very competitive. Uh, where we're also... Um, seen some competition and, and, and uh, it's affecting our NIM slightly is on renewals. Uh, as, uh, as we have already discussed on this call, there were a lot of sales, so a lot of mortgages um, left. They didn't exist anymore because people sold their homes. But to re remain competitive on renewals, um, we, there is a, a bigger uh, rate fight there. And did you see that continuing uh, into Q3 as well? Would that be fair characterization? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I'm, I think for Q3 and Q4, and possibly as well as on the origination side, uh, uh, you know, everybody there's huge competition for mortgages. We're very pleased we're keeping our own and keeping the NIM up and so on. But there's a lot of competition on rates and service and products and so on. Yeah, understood. Um, last one for me. Uh, just want to dig into uh, the the credit releases, uh, or I guess the change in risk parameters and models. So if I'm looking at the sub pack uh, page 19 and the single family uh, component, uh, and this is this is something that's been consistent over the last several quarters, and uh, and I just want to get a little bit more clarity as to, you know, what would be the change in risk parameters that would cause the significant decline in stage one. Um, but at the same time, increases in stage two and stage three um, provisions or allowances, I guess. Yeah, as, as we work through those model things, we continue to refine the, the risk parameters or items that would go through um, in relation to LPVs, um, the uh, expectations of repayment, probability of default, uh, those are kind of factors that would go into that. And as well, you know, moving to stage one um, gives only one year loss rather than, than lifetime, although, you know, on average, we, we do have uh, in, in, the, in the classic book, the average life, we, we have estimated around 14 months. Okay, thank you. 
And again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. And there are no further questions at this time. I'll now turn it back over to Yushri Basada for closing remarks. Thank you, Lico. We're pleased with our performance this quarter and excited about the balance of the year. We see good prospects for our residential and commercial lending business. We look forward to bringing an enhanced digital experience to our open customers and developing our funding options beyond the retail deposit market. I send my thanks for the work done by the entire home team who continue to bring the best of their creativity and enthusiasm to work every day. Finally, we're planning an investor day in the fourth quarter of this year. You should be receiving a save the date notice sometime next month. If health conditions allow, I am very much looking forward to seeing as many participants as possible in person. To all the participants on the call today, thank you for your interest in home capital. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.